Well, good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer, and I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. We are so glad that you are here. Let's get into the word that God has for us today. We have been in a series um, entitled Giants, and we have been taking this idea of the race of life, this contest of stamina and endurance and faith, and even understanding to understand we are never alone. And there are others that have run this race before us. And in this series, we've heard from so many of these others that have run this race before us. And the great cloud of witnesses that is talked about in the book of Hebrews. And, and so we talked, we've been talking about it, the, the premise of this series has come from Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one. The Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. There's so much in that passage of scripture, and next week as we conclude this series, we're going, I'm going to break down that passage of scripture and speak life and truth into the body of Christ here at Relevant Faith as it relates to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You're not going to want to miss next week's closing uh, message of this series. It's going to be, I believe, very powerful. But um, the idea we have been talking about is these giants of faith, these cloud of witnesses that the Bible refers to, what would they say to us if they were able to step out of heaven, out of that crowd for just one lap of this journey of life? How would they speak to us? What would they say? How would they encourage us? And we have gone through seven other people who are giants of faith that have so much to say and so much to speak into our hearts and lives. And today, as the last giant of faith that we are going to speak about, we're going to speak about perhaps the greatest giant of faith, the one who is in heaven, and the only one in scripture referred to in heaven actually making intercession for you and I, we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Is that all right if we talk about Jesus in church this morning? All right. So we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about, the, and, and there's so much, obviously, that the church is built on Jesus, so there's so much that you can preach and so much that you can teach as it relates to Christ and what he would say, because we have his words of what he would say but I'm going to focus on just, I'm going to focus on one thing because I feel like this is an important thing. And, and I want you to not dismiss the idea as being elementary. If you've served God in any type of way for any type of time, we are usually guilty of dismissing messages like this as being elementary and actually not challenging. But I, I really want to challenge what you think you already know about what you know, if that makes sense. And so what I want to challenge you in is this, is I think Jesus would say that for when religion seems frustrating, you can find me in relationship, not rules. In relationship, not rules. This is going to be, I think it, it was a challenging message even for me to, uh, to, to write because there's some things, there are some religious things within me that would rise up when I'd write a message like this or think through a message like this or even read the book that is attached to this entire series called Running with the Giants by John Maxwell. And so there are some thoughts that have challenged me in this message that I hope challenge you as we go through this word. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 15. 
will be in the first nine verses of Matthew chapter 15. We'll do some jumping in some, uh, some other places as well. But this is where we're going to get our focus from. So Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse number one. It should be up on the screen for you as well. The Bible says, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, so let, before we get to the reply of Jesus, notice here the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, those deemed as being righteous among people, would come to Jesus. And the first thing, here they have this, this Jesus who's been doing miraculous things, who's been preaching and teaching, and they want to know, well, why do the people who follow you not follow our tradition? Why don't they follow our ceremonial hand-washing before they eat? What is up with that? And so Jesus is in fine fashion, as Jesus would do constantly through Scripture. His response would be, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Now, Scripture's not written in a way where you can picture faces so I, I am a very visual type person. I see things and I, I like to see things, whether they be in my mind's eye or they be with my physical eye. I like to see things. And I, when I read scripture, I do the same thing. I picture different things. And I'm thinking to myself, when they come to him, they come with this pompous arrogance to suggest, yeah, you've been doing all these things. But what we want to know is why the people who follow you, what's wrong with them? I mean, yeah, you... You do miracles and preach and teach, and, but your people don't even wash their hands. What is up with that? And Jesus, now granted, I don't, Jesus isn't like us. And I'm so, so, I say so often, so thankful I am not him. Because if they said that to me, my first response would be to roll my eyes at them. Like, for real, this is what they're doing? They're going to come to me with this stupidity? All right, let me, let me help you out real quick. And then he says, then he says, why do your traditions violate God's commandments? And you can now tell you, if you could see faces, you'd see some, some irate Pharisees. You'd see some frustrated people. You'd see looks on their faces like, oh, this guy got to go. How's he talking to me like that? Don't they know who we are? That we are the Pharisees, that we are the religious right? Then he gives them an answer. He says, for instance, God says, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Students in this place, children in this place, don't be speaking disrespectfully of mom and dad. But he says that anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Now understand that there's, a, there's some culture here and some context that's really important to understand. And in the, in the Hebrew culture and among, among the Hebrew, the, Jew, the Jewish faith and belief, the children were required to honor their mother and father, not just in speech, but in what they have. Like it, was, it was considered to be noble and honorable and even biblical and godly to give to their parents. 
as they would get older in age. I mean, I think, I think it'd be a great thing to do even still today. I mean, parents raise children for so long, I think it's only honorable for children to give back to parents as they age. See, that, 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 that parents that came in and shout that one all day long. I, I do. I, it's only an honorable thing to do. And so in this culture, not only was it honorable, but it was required. Yet the Pharisees would come and they would teach that you should give everything you have as much as humanly possible to the church. In their case, the synagogue, the temple, the priests. The Pharisees, the ones who would walk around in the princely and richly robes while others suffered and died from lack of food and eating. Sounds a lot like what goes on in our world today. Nothing's changed. And so Jesus is confronting that thought process. And I believe this is just one of the thought processes Jesus decided to confront because he could have confronted so many more. He said, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. This is where message might get a little rough. I am not critical of traditions. I am not critical of of religions or denominations. Every single one. I think of them all the exact same. They are all man-made. They are all created by human understanding, which is very limited, and then they project these human understandings on everyone to say this is law. I'm not here to to wreck and destroy and offend these, because here's what I understand about Relevant Faith Church is we are a very diverse group, not just ethnically but and socioeconomically, but also even religiously and how we have grown up. I've, I grew up in the church of the Hellion. That was every Sunday morning known as my bed. Church was not a part of my life. I didn't give my life to Christ until I was in my 20s. And so that was my journey. And I know others have grown up Catholic and Roman Catholic, Lutheran and Methodist, and some others who have still hit all of them in the course of five to seven years. And so with all of that being said, there's a lot of tradition that gets into us from that. And so my hope and my, my, my prayer is that through this message, and even through your own seeking of Christ yourself, you adopt Christ's traditions, not man's traditions. And some of them, I, the, one of the ones that, we, that is so divided, there's, there's one tradition I'll give you that it's so divided in the kingdom of God, is the idea of communion. I've had this conversation with so many people over the years, some that would tell me I'm, I'm wrong because I do it every quarter, I do it every month, the first Sunday of every month, I should be doing it every single day. Others that say you have to do it every single week, still others that say it's every single quarter. Then there are other faiths that say, oh, well, if you, if you take communion in a church that is not your, your denomination, then that's, that's wrong and you're taking judgment upon yourself. And some would say, oh, well, if you even touch If you even touch the element of communion with your fingers, it's now defiled because you're unholy because only the holiest of people can actually touch that element. And can I just help you out real quick? None of that is even biblical. You can't find any of that in Scripture. doesn't exist. 
it does say that as often as you take communion, do it in remembrance of him. So whether you do it daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, my hope is you do it more than yearly because it is a fellowship and a communion with God that is beautiful and wonderful. So that's my hope. But at the end of the day, as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of him. And then number two, when you do it, you do it with a heart that has asked and sought forgiveness because you don't want to take judgment upon yourself by just, you know, eating a piece of cardboard and doing a shot. It's what it boils down to for a lot of people. Oh, it's communion time. Let me grab my stale old wafer and toss it in my mouth. And There's more to it than that. So much more to it than that. That's, don't let man's traditions determine how and what you do. And not that, that's just one area, for example, that I think Jesus would address all of them. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say this. You hypocrites. I love when Jesus starts getting righteous. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. This is where it's rough. This is where division takes place. Denomination teaches man-made ideas as commands from God. And I don't, I don't shoot that down. I don't shoot down religion or denomination or anything. I am a credentialed Assembly of God pastor. It's where my faith and my tradition, my, my, my credentials come from. And I, I think that denominations have their place. I like that personally simply because I like the covering of leadership. I am not a one-man show, and nor do I want to be. Because let me tell you, I am way too flawed and messed up a human to say, oh, I'm in control of all of this. We would all be messed up if that was the case. That's why I have elders. That's why I have a denomination that covers me. That's important stuff. But it's not to say this is our tradition. Now it becomes our law. Because here's what happens. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I do not want to be a believer who honors God with my lips, but my heart is so far from him. I don't want to be that. I hope you don't either. So what is the difference between this relationship and these rules. What, I mean, because obviously, Scripture lays out how we should live, how we should walk. I think there's a couple of things that are the difference. One absolutely, one absolute difference is important for us to understand is that it's our perspective is a huge difference. I look at Scripture, and it says, there says this is what I should do and shouldn't do, and I look at it as, it, man, this is, this is food for my life. This is food for my soul. This is what's going to help me to live a good life and walk out a life that, that is honorable among Jesus. Where at the end of that journey, and the end of that walk, I can hear those faithful words that say, well done, my good and faithful servant. There's a whole message in that. I don't have time to preach right now. But I want to hear that, that one day. I do. I want to hear those words one day. I don't want my lips to worship him, but my heart be far from him. And so... There's perspective. Some folks see that as, oh, it's rules and regulations. This is what I can and cannot do. Well, their perception is already a little twisted, and their heart is probably not connected to Jesus. I actually used to, when I used to preach to young people as a youth pastor, and we would get into talking about relationships and intimacy and sex and those types of things, the question would always come to me, especially from young people, because, you know, young people, they want to they push the envelope as far as they can. Where is the line? I want to step with my toes over the line, 
but I don't want my whole body over the line because eh, that's too much. But at least my toes, they got to be over the line. That's, that's young people today. Young people when I was a teenager, although I didn't really care about the line, I just walked wherever I walked, and that was what it was. Hence the reason why I was in all the trouble I was in. But I would tell them, as it related to that, my answer was very simple. What would you do with your girlfriend? It's usually the guys asking that question. What would you do with your girlfriend if her father's sitting next to you? And then they kind of look at me. Then that's too far. How far is too far? That's too far. So let's translate that into our walk with Jesus right now. How would you act? What would you do? What would you say if the Father was the Father God who created everything was sitting next to you? Food for thought. He's already sitting next to you if you haven't figured that part out. So what's the difference between the two? Well, Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but a living but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy and in the Holy Spirit. What you eat and what you drink are rules. Living a life of goodness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit is a relationship. Here's the caveat to that, though, because if you're living this life of goodness, peace, joy, and in the Holy Spirit, guess what you are concerned with? What you eat and what you drink. You're not driven by what you eat and what you drink. You're driven by this relationship that affects what you eat and what you drink, if that makes sense. Or let's, let's just say like this. You're living in a relationship that affects what you watch and what you hear, what you engage in. See, now I'm, gonna, I'm about to talk about some things that you're going to disagree with and not like, and that's okay because we can actually disagree and still love one another. You know that, right? Okay, just so everybody knows that. This relationship you have with Christ and this following, this goodness and this joy and this in the Holy Spirit would likely not, if you're walking fully in that, it would likely not reflect awful, foul-mouthed action on your part, nor listening and watching those things. Watching a movie with somebody and a word comes on, do you cringe and does it like, oh my gosh, I just heard that? Or do you really not care? Now, this is a journey of faith, and everybody's journey is different. I gave my life to Christ. I was radically saved. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled, and I was living this life out, praising God, jumping and dancing and shouting in church, and I would build a fence, and if that fence did not stand upright, guess what? That fence got told a few things that are not appropriate. So this, there is a journey. There is a time. No one's saying that give your life to Christ and immediately all this stuff has to stop and cease. Otherwise, you're failing. That's not what we're talking about. There is a journey. If that was the case, I'd have let it go a long time ago because I failed many, 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 anyway, many times. So there's a few things I want to give you that relationship will give you, okay? And they're found in this story. Relationship will, number one, there's a fill-in-the-blank sheet that came, and we're going to run through some of this because I'm already running short on time. But relationship will give you righteousness, not guilt. Rules give you guilt. Relationship gives you righteousness. Look at the Pharisees. They approached Jesus, and they tried to make him feel guilt over what his disciples were and were not doing. They didn't come with a question. They weren't looking to understand they were looking to judge there's a big difference 
You know, I've had people come to me and want to understand why I believe some of the things that I believe. And then I've had people come to me and say, well, you're wrong and you're preaching people to hell. There's two dramatic differences between the two. Right? So relationship will bring righteousness, not guilt. And of course, as you read the dialogue that we talked about, you hear Jesus, you see Jesus call him out. So here's what I want to help you understand. As a believer in Christ, if you sit here and say, I am a believer, I love Jesus, he died on the cross for my sin. No, that doesn't make you perfect, but it makes you a believer. And here, this passage of scripture is written specifically for you in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you get that? No condemnation. You don't need to walk around feeling like you just got beat over the head by Jesus' mallet because you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at or you said something you shouldn't have said or you thought something you shouldn't have thought because here's the reality. While I stand up here as a pastor and I do do everything I can to live my life righteous before God, I think some things sometimes I shouldn't think. I do some things sometimes I shouldn't do. I say some things sometimes I shouldn't say. Seems like a lot of those things are centered around driving, but that's another story. But right, it, relationship brings righteousness, not guilt. Look at the second verse. And because you belong to him, the power of, light, of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, we, we forget about these things and we walk around, woe is me. And then, we, and then because of all that, we get this distorted view of what judgment is. And that was a great conversation we had at, we, at the midweek Bible study on 6.30 in the morning this past week. It was about judgment. Over the last couple weeks, actually. But then we get this skewed version of what judgment is. And so what do we think judgment is, is I come and say, hey, you know what? I'm noticing some behavior that really is contradictory to Scripture. You know, let's walk through this and talk about this. And so when we're caught up in religion and, 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 and rules, we immediately feel guilty. And then when we feel guilty, what do we do? We get defensive. Oh, I'm digging my heels in. No, nah, pastor, uh-uh. you don't get to judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm just, the word judges. I'm just showing you what it says. If you want to shoot the messenger, by all means, go for it. But it ain't me. But that's what happens because we're so caught up in religion and rules and guilt-driven faith that once we are confronted with our sin, we're so frustrated we dig our heels in and defend our position because after all, we are human and we cannot be wrong. Anybody in the room married to that? You laugh. My wife would say she's married to that and I would say I'm married to that. That's flesh. That's sin. That's what, where we are. Can't we, we can, is it okay to talk about those things? So relationship will bring righteousness, not guilt. And understand, you are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But there are those that are in Christ. That's an important phrase. Those that are in Christ is an important phrase. It doesn't say those that came forward and confessed some sort of, some sort of prayer that's not in Scripture. That doesn't necessarily mean you're in Christ. That just means that, hey, one day you felt some type of way about what you heard, and you said something the preacher said that you should say, and that made you saved. And while there is some truth to that, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you are saved, right? There's truth to that, but there's so much more to that than this, that. You can't just say, okay, 
I confess I'm a sinner. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I'm going to go back to my life and keep doing what I've been doing on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and then I'll come back around on Sunday again, and we do it all over again. Man, I used to have teenagers getting saved every single Sunday. I'm like, oh, that's not how this works. Let me help you understand this. So relationship will give you righteousness, not guilt. Number two, relationship will give you peace, not frustration. If you are looking upon religion and looking upon faith and you're frustrated, you have to question your relationship. Are you looking at this thing to fall in love with it? Or are you looking at this thing as a what to and what not to do? Because following in, falling in love with Jesus brings you peace. According to Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4, he says, I will provide the peace that surpasses all understanding. Matter of fact, let me, let me, let me get to it. It won't be on the screen because it's not in my, message, in my message, but let me get to it real quick because I want to read it all to you. Here it is. He goes on to say, as he's giving words of encouragement, he says, I ask you to be my true partner to help these women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. See, he, want, he wanted prayer for people who worked hard to preach the gospel in this particular case, case two women. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Goes on and on and on and on and on. Tells you what to think about. Thoughts that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Putting into practice all you've learned. And everything that you received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Other translations say the peace that surpasses all understanding. Relationship brings peace, not frustration. In every situation. In every situation. Let me say that. In every situation. It doesn't make a difference in situation. You're facing financial struggle. Peace is available to you in the midst of that situation. You're facing the loss of a loved one, a loss of a family member. Peace is available in that situation. And a lot of it, it's, it's oftentimes, it's connected to the relationship we have with Jesus. And then in that, do we access that relationship or do we access our flesh? Because if somebody is frustrated and angry and bitter and all these other things at, let's say, the death of a loved one, because I know that's a very sensitive and difficult subject to deal with because we've all experienced it in some capacity. If we respond in anger, which is, is, is understandable, we are, accessing, we are accessing a part of our life that, that Jesus wants to control. We're accessing this, this, this frustration, this anger, this bitterness, and, and, and there is, there is fine, there's nothing wrong with accessing those things. We ought not sin in our anger. We ought not sin in our frustration, sin in our bitterness. And then if we allow it to take root, it just develops into things that we don't like, and then and, and you're not going to be beneficial for our lives. But if we access this relationship that we have with Jesus, and it is our perspective, and it is our perception, then we have access to this peace that surpasses all understanding. And I know it's possible, because I've seen it in action. I've seen it with people. And some people take a little bit longer to get to that peaceful place than others. You know, I look at a family, and I've shared this story before, so I won't share it in depth, but a young man who ministered to teenagers that I, was, I pastored, his father was killed in a gang initiation. The funeral, they were all dressed in white and pastel colors, 
and it was a gospel praise fest, and I was like, whoo-hoo, this is my funeral. I told my, I've given my wife specific instructions. This is what it's going to be like. Send it out on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. If you come and you're wearing white, you're wearing colors, you're enjoying life, you're dancing before the Lord, because that's what I'm doing. That's what this funeral was like. So I can see the peace that surpasses all understanding in that moment. Some others might take a little bit longer to get to that place. Again, this is the journey, right? This is the journey. So that relationship will bring peace, not frustration. Number three, the relationship will bring joy, not judgment. It'll bring joy, not judgment. How do you know you're doing it right? If it is a thing to do, is there's joy in your life. I tell you what, I ain't going to lie. I've met some folks in church, and maybe you were this folk before. I don't know. Maybe you still are, and if you are, maybe this will help you. But some of us need to let our face know that our heart is saved. I think that happens from time to time. I think, I think we walk into church, and we have this forever face. That says, I am mad at everyone in the world. And it's like this unapproachable thing like, uh-uh. Dude, you saved. Smile. Smile. Even if your teeth are ugly, smile. See, there we go. I made you laugh. That's all I was trying to do. Y'all are beautiful. The Bible says so. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created, and he said you were good. The only thing in all of creation that he created and said was good was you. I'm not quite sure why he pulled that one off, because I don't feel that way sometimes. But this relationship brings joy, not judgment. And when you can find joy in the midst of your struggle, now we're talking about a walk with Jesus. And remember what I said in worship, in our time of worship, that gets to these deep, deep places? Joy in the midst of struggle is one of those deep places. But please tell your face, tell your attitude, tell your work ethic, tell your job, tell your home life, tell your kids in school, tell them all you're saved by showing the joy on your face. It's a good place to start. I'm always smiling. I mean, people at work, I'm part-time Chick-fil-A, people are there like, is your life perfect or something? You're always smiling. I was like, <laughs> my life is far from perfect. Let me tell you just how far from perfect it actually is. And, and then I'll give you the number of a few folks to tell you how much further it is than that. But I've got God in my heart. It's all I need. That's enough to be joyful over. Matter of fact, it's summed up. John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief's purpose. The devil's purpose. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he's trying to do with you. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to kill you and destroy your life. But my purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or in some translations, a life, an abundant life, or a life to the fullest. Man, let me tell you, I believe life to the fullest is code language and code word for let's have fun, church. Let's smile. Let's enjoy the joy of the Lord. I mean, we come so far. I mean, they, they, what did David do? David would dance all over the place. And when people would be like, David, chill out, man. He's like, oh, I get even more undignified than this. Come on. But that's what, that's what we're called to live. It's out of relationship with Jesus. Rules and regulations and religion will not get you there. 
I promise you, it will not get you there. But this relationship, man, I've been able to find joy and peace and laughing and dancing in some of my darkest moments. And even some of my darkest moments that were caused by me. So as, I, as is my tradition when I preach, I like to take what we hear from the gospel and what we hear from the word and make it practical. How do I live this out? How do I walk this out? What do I do with what you just told me? Because it sounds good to shout amen and it sounds good to clap and it sounds good to say yes, now you're preaching, but what do I actually do with it? Well, here's what I'm going to help you with. Jesus' words of encouragement, I believe if he stepped out of this race as specifically on this topic, because there's so much more he could say, what would he say to encourage us? I would say, number one, and in your notes, find encouragement and strength from others. Man, you were not an island of yourself. You were not created to do life alone. You were created to do life in the context of community. That's why we value it so much here. Doing life together is what we call it. We value that here. That's why church is so important. Let me help you out, okay? And and no judgment. Again, if you feel judgment, then maybe you should pray and ask God, is that conviction? But there's no judgment. Because the Bible says that many have forsaken the assembly of God's people. And as a result of their forsaking the assemblies of God's people, many have gotten sick and fell asleep early. So yes, there's a direct correlation of doing life together in the context of community, being in the church and assembling together, connected to being sick and falling asleep early. Church has become such a substandard thing for someone's life at this point. Oh, I go, I go, that's my church. I got folks that say, that's my church. They show up once a year, but that's my church. Like, okay. Not quite sure how effective the church is for you in that context, but all right. Because, you know, even the church, just like the believer, is here to serve others. Jesus said, I come to serve, not to be served, right? So we find encouragement and strength from others. Talk to anyone who's walked through anything significant that withdrew and said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to be all by myself because I can't handle being around other people and ask how well that worked out for them. But in the midst of those pains, in the midst of that struggle, when you can find yourself in community with others, gleaning strength from others, that's where you find encouragement. That's where you find joy. That's where you find these things. I mean, look at, and, and look at through some of these giants of faith. Some of these we've preached and some of we, these we haven't. But Noah learned that one person can make a difference. And he got strength through his family. Abraham God was, knew that God was always there doing the right thing. And where did he get strength from? He got strength from his family. Rebecca learned to give generously to others. She got strength from her nation. I could keep on going and going and going. David got strength from his calling and from his family and from his nation. Nehemiah got strength from the entire army of God that was helping him to rebuild walls. Jesus. Even Jesus drew strength from others. You're telling me when he was hanging on that cross between two thieves and one of them said, please remember me in paradise, that he didn't gain strength to finish the call that God had for him? 
I would actually submit that in that moment that he's hanging on that cross and the one thief says, please remember me in paradise, that Jesus' was heart was so elated that actually he's seeing what's physical with his own physical eyes, not the, re- the, 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 the resurrected eyes, but I'm talking the own physical in the middle of pain eyes, saw someone turn their heart towards him. Tell me that didn't invigorate him to finish the call? You find strength and encouragement in others. Number two, you keep obstacles out of your way. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in depth next week as we walk through Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number one. But you keep obstacles out of your way. Let us throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us. Those are obstacles in a race of, in, in a race of life. They need to be out of your way. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says it like this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Man, that scripture scares the crap out of me, if I'm being honest. Yes, I said crap in church. It does. Think about that. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching, that's what I do. I myself might be disqualified but I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. That's why I tell you this is a journey. Tell me something. If you, if you got up and made a decision, I'm going to run a marathon. I, I don't understand why you would do that. Personally, can't even get with that. I'll have a whole theology about running, and I'll share it with you anytime you like. But if you said, I'm going to go run a marathon, seriously, would you do it tomorrow? I'd like to see you try. Can I be the entertainment side of that? Because I'll be laughing. Right? No, we go through a training process. We, we engage ourselves physically with what we eat and what we do and when we sleep and how we train and how much we run. We, we do that for a body, for a race that you get a cheap piece of metal that ain't going to go with you when you die. But we don't do that in our walk with Christ. But that's what Paul's saying. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it needs to do. You have to train your body to do it. And how do you train it? Right here. Training manual. I'll tell you right now, if I was dedicated to running a marathon, I'd want somebody to give me a book to tell me how to train for it. Give me some information. I don't want to just try and with Google nowadays, I can find whatever I want. But this is it. This is your training manual. Number three, last one I'll share with you. Devin, you can come and get set if you would, please. I hope this is helping y'all. hope my excitement isn't distracting y'all. Number three, and the last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. When you feel like giving up, last practical point, when you feel like giving up, remember the reward. Remember the reward. Think about it like this. What kept Jesus running? What kept him running? Do you think the idea of hanging on the cross is what kept him running? Do you think the, the, the pain and the agony of which he would face would keep him running? As a matter of fact, no. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's biblical evidence to suggest that Jesus didn't really want to do it. Kind of said, hey, Lord, if there's any way this cup can kind of pass for me. But he had a nevertheless in his life, and it was not my will, but your will be done. 
But at the end of the day, there has to be something that kept him running. There has to be something that keeps you running. For Jesus, do you know who it was? you know what it was? It was you. It was you that kept him running. It was me that kept him running. It was hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who would, who would forever deny his existence that kept him running. His love for humanity kept him running. What keeps you running? What is it that keeps you running? What is it that gets you out of the bed in the morning? What is it that gets you into your work and hopefully with a smile on your face? And if you go to work without a smile on your face, I'll tell you the same thing I told you again. You tell your face you're saved. I don't care if you hate your job or not. Tell your face you're saved. Go to work. Because let me tell you something. There's somebody on your job that needs to hear the gospel from you. There's somebody on your job that needs to hear the gospel from you. There's somebody in your house that needs to hear the gospel from you. Yes, there are children in your house that need to hear the gospel from you. And how do they hear it? They hear it by what you speak to them. They see it by what you do. What keeps you running? What is going to keep you running? Now, all these things right here, your family, your children, your job, your church, all these things are all temporary. They are not enough to sustain the run. Let me tell you what you need to focus on to sustain the run. It's the reward that you have in heaven. Eternity with the Father should keep you running. Streets of gold should keep you running. Mansions should keep you running. To know that one day there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more hurt or anxiety or stress or depression or anything else. Because you're with Jesus. That should keep you running. So I'm a little bit excited about this man named Jesus. You are what kept him running. He should be what keeps you running. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. The Bible says, we do this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up because if he can endure the hostility of sinful people. You can endure the journey that you're on. You can walk with your head held high and you can walk in righteousness. You can walk in holiness. You can walk in a life and a journey that's pleasing to God. In spite of everyone and everything around you, you can walk that way, church. What keeps you running? Remember, reward remember the award for your reward for your children remember them for your family your parents remember them for your co-workers